Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time. I'm your host, Andy, and with me today is my uh, co-host, guest, co-guest host, uh, probably Jacob. And that was not a question. That's the name of his YouTube channel. Uh, how you doing, probably Jacob? Oh, uh, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I just got off the back of uh, the Memorial Day weekend. I got drunk in the woods three nights in a row, and uh, now I'm readjusting to being back in society. Oh, well, getting drunk in the woods three nights in a row can be a lot of fun, but also really draining. I remember needing a lot of Pedialyte whenever. Yeah, uh, well, you got to bring <laughs> you got to bring the liquid IVs. That's the trick. <laughs> so but everything went well. You didn't get attacked by bears or. Nope, whatever. nobody got attacked by bears. One guy fell, but he missed the fire. So that was fine. Um, I, I'm, I'm really into archery. I don't know if you noticed. I've got a couple of archery related things on my channel. Uh, I was yes. teaching a bunch of drunk people how to shoot a bow. We only lost one arrow and nothing broke. So I'd say that it was and I'd say it was a, a resounding <laughs> success. Uh, did anybody, uh, you know, get those little um, welts on their inner arm from not wearing the right protection? No, because I brought an arm guard. OK, OK. And just just like, making sure. <laughs> We were kind of we were kind of high in the mountains, so it was a little cold. So most people were wearing either a coat or like a sweatshirt. And if you've just got something to like absorb the shock a little bit, it won't your arm too bad. Everybody thinks that they're going to be a tough guy and not use one. And then they snap themselves once. And then <laughs> especially when you're especially when you're an adult and you're shooting like like a 45, 50 pound bow, you're not going to want to roll the dice on that. Oh, uh, I <laughs> yeah i i'm just just imagining uh you know a bunch of drunk people with bows and arrows um fun stuff uh yeah you uh you are an archery person how have you been uh getting better i've seen a few of your updates on your archery vlogs yeah i'm at this point i'm pretty good now the next step is i need to start actually like competing because my my target scores are getting to the point where i would be placing if i was in like state tournaments so I need yeah. to like actually start competing. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, you, do you have a, do you have a long-term goal for that? Not really. I, um, I just kind of want to like the, well, I guess the long-term goal would be just upgrade my equipment and get at least one first place trophy in like a legit, um, competition. Cause I've got one first place trophy for just like a club shoot, but wasn't really that big of a deal and the competition wasn't really that stiff. There was only really like two guys that were sort of like in the same league that I was. What state are you in? Are you in Oregon? Oh, I'm in Washington state. Washington. All right. Yep. All right. So, um, we're, we're about to white north up here. Whereabouts in Washington? Um, most people outside of Washington just look at the look at the state through the lens of Seattle. Mm -hmm. So the easiest way to explain it is that I'm about two hours north of seattle let's talk a little bit about your background uh, i came to you from a random uh twitter post on joseph anderson it was like hey if you like joseph anderson you should watch probably jacob people always compare me to him and i don't think it's a very I, accurate comparison I, yeah I'll yeah take it, I, don't, I, guess. I, I don't think so either i think maybe your cyberpunk video yeah the cyberpunk video is definitely the hardest i've ever gone off before um, I will say that there are going there is going to be at least I've got at least one more video of that caliber left in me that I'm going to be working on soon. 
Awesome. Uh, I, I will also tell you the cyberpunk video uh, was responsible for maybe the scariest 10 seconds of my life. Um, <laughs> what do you mean? So I am a new father and okay. I also listen to uh, YouTube when I go to sleep and I listen to YouTube with headphones. Well, uh, at the end of your cyberpunk video, you have a song by amazing band Wingnut Dishwashers Union. Yeah. A band that I was listening to earlier that day. And I fell asleep and wake up to this song thinking, oh no, my computer speakers are that loud. It is going to wake up the, the child. I am screwed. Yeah. My wife will be so angry at me. And I jumped out of bed, ran to my office and, and uh, was cr- incredibly confused because of course it was off. And then I realized, oh, somebody else found this band that only has like 1000 listeners on YouTube. And yeah, that the, man, credit. I mean, Pat the Bunny in general is kind of like he's kind of a cult hero to a very small amount of people. I yes, think, I think he I, I genuinely think that he is the greatest folk punk artist of all time. Like there's not nobody he's ever been able to put like the ideology and mm-hmm. the realism of the ideology and like struggling between those two things into music better than he did. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, listening to We Not Dishwasher Union and be like, wow, this sounds a lot like uh, you know, Ramshackle Glory. Uh, yeah. Oh, this sounds a lot like this other dude, Pat the Bunny. Oh, oh, that's why. Oh, okay. I actually saw him live in a band once, but he wasn't lead vocals in the band that he was in. He was like on guitar or something, which was upsetting. <laughs> I was like, dude, his voice is so much better than this guy's voice. What the hell are you guys doing? Anti, anti-punk or whatever you want to call it is 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 fantastic. And I've been a very uh vocal supporter of like i don't know days and days and yeah days and days is great i saw days and days live once and that was pretty incredible oh yeah so i i just want to tell you that like after after realizing what happened i was like oh this is this is awesome i like probably jacob even even more yeah i actually when i put that song at the end so i knew that that song probably wasn't in the algorithm so i knew that i probably wasn't going to get hit with a copyright strike for putting it at the end but i wanted to try to find pat the bunny and sort of like symbolically ask permission even though like i knew he wouldn't give it that right. dude is a ghost like good luck finding him like <laughs> he is does not have a foot a single footprint online like in any social media stuff it's pretty impressive well i found a couple of his like personal social media pages but oh, they've wow. been inact they've been inactive for like seven years. You, makes sense. Yeah. For those of you who who don't know uh what we're talking about, this this band and this uh movement of music is very uh anti corporate, anti uh well, I mean it's anarchist punk is is what it really is. But yeah, that's ah oh, that that is awesome. I, I just want to say I appreciate your taste in music so much. Well, that makes one person. I'm always uh <laughs> trying to fucking convince people I'm like no this is good yeah 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 the uh the raspy off-tone singing and or off-key yeah. singing oh it's it's fantastic Re- I recorded love on like a lo-fi like hey you pikachu mic oh yeah it's good i promise you, you have just to have to listen to it and get in the right mindset yeah yeah you you do you do youtube videos um yeah your your cyberpunk video is a beautiful covering of cyberpunk uh, especially with what the um the the typical st- like narrative about cyberpunk was during this time period that was like yeah oh, i think 
I think that I was to toot my own horn a little bit on the cyberpunk video. I think I was a little bit too far ahead of my time. I think that people hadn't really realized that that game is actually good yet when I put that video out. And now we're finally now that like, how long has it been like a year and a half or something since cyberpunk? Now I think people are starting to realize like, Oh wait, this is actually like now that the storm of the, how bad the release was is over and all of that people are starting to realize like oh there's actually a really good game in here and we were too concerned about the hype to even notice it and now people are starting to put out the videos about how much of a masterpiece it is so <laughs> i feel like i feel like i almost put out that video like a year too early for people to really get it uh well i'm i'm i hope people uh, get drawn back into it because uh it it's 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 worth all one hours and 40 minutes of, of yeah it, uh, i mean that video consumed like a month of my life like all i was doing for like a month was playing that game like 10 hours a day reading cyberpunk books like neuromancer and stuff re-watching all of the big cyberpunk movies like blade runner and and, and all that like i just like immersed myself in like extremely depressing cyberpunk media for like 30 straight days to be able to get that video out Ugh, i i don't i don't know how you did it but that sounds like you did uh, your own dissertation maybe you should uh, talk to somebody about getting a phd yeah um maybe we'll see well i've ha i have been thinking about going back to uh at least getting a bachelor's in something because i've got an associate's now but we'll see okay well uh you mentioned books and you said you are a reader and that you've Okay, I'm not a reader, and that's the problem I'm trying to solve. Oh, okay. So, so this is a, this is the solution here. But you said you finished a book that you've been wanting to finish lately, or yeah. So, um, my so I'm I'm sort of like quote unquote um known online for like video game commentary, but one of my real passions is sort of like the paranormal and like the UFO world is one of the things that I'm like, have been really into for literally my entire life. Like for as long as I can remember, like for as long as I've been a conscious breathing human, I've been like interested in this kind of stuff. Like I remember being like an extremely young kid in the nineties watching like unsolved mysteries on TV. So this has been like sort of a part of my personality for a long time. And a lot of people out there um to sort of like dismiss this stuff offhand immediately but there is a lot of acad real academic work that goes into studying it and there's a lot of really good sort of like case studies that go into like the ufo topic and the topic of like you whether or not there is an afterlife and all this stuff like really high level academics are working on these questions and I think a lot of people get so caught up in the materialist perspective that they don't realize how many like really high level academics are working on these kind of like really bizarre questions and not not to like on the materialist perspective or anything like that, because obviously you need like without the materialist perspective, we don't get like treatments for cancer. <laughs> right. You know what I mean, like like oh, you need that stuff. But it's always been my opinion for a really long time that. In sort of the late 1800s, when we really started to make started to make the transition to we're going all in on materialism, I think we kind of lost some stuff culturally that was kind of important. And I think that the uh, the UFO community specifically has a really good chance of sort of bringing that back culturally. Mm. And uh, 
in order to sort of prepare myself to talk more about this and to make some videos on it and to give it a fair shot, I've got a whole big list of books on these sort of topics that are um, stuff like American Cosmic. American Cosmic is written by Diana Walsh Pasolka, who is a professor of religious studies at the University of North Carolina and mm -hmm. is the chair of their Department of Philosophy and Religion. So we're talking about like a real academic here. Right, right. And, and this um, is uh, UNC Wilmington. Uh, I'm from North Carolina, so yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah this, is a, this is a legit school. Yeah, so um, she wrote a book called American Cosmic that is all about sort of the UFO field from the perspective of religious studies and how we're sort of seeing the birth of like a new organic grassroots sort of spiritual spiritualism and religion. And so I wanted to start reading some of this stuff because it's really interesting. And the one that I, so I, I figured, okay, what is like the linchpin of most sort of spiritual beliefs? The linchpin is this idea that there's an afterlife. This is like what everybody, like all of them hinge on this, whether it's like reincarnation or whatever, like whichever thing it is that you believe in. They all sort of hinge on this idea that there's like something more to the life that we're living. There's something else that happens later. And so I was like, well, that seems like a good place to start. So uh, the first video that I'm going to be doing in, in this sort of realm is on a book called Stop Worrying There Probably Is an Afterlife, written by a guy named Greg Taylor, who is a doctor. And I think it's good for a lot of reasons. Like, first of all, just the title. Yeah, of like hedging the bet of being like probably <laughs> I'm not sure but maybe like that's I think that's the exact kind of language that this stuff needs to be couched in because the second you come out and start saying like oh there definitely is one that that's when wow. you sort of start to turn into a little bit of a maniac so mm -hmm. I think you have to constantly be tempering yourself to be like look I don't know but right. like I think that's a good way to approach it and and yeah uh, by like saying there's there's an afterlife like you get the uh the special kind of atheists uh, active against you. Yeah. And it's obnoxious. So yeah, the Reddit, the Reddit guys. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I have always said, if you're going to be anything, I th if you're going to be anything, I think the smartest thing to be is agnostic of like, look, dude, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, somebody pointed out to me one time, like, okay, these atheists really just say like, Oh, it's a coin flip. And yeah. they just decided on tails instead of heads. Like that's it. Right. So and one of the other things that I think makes this book a really good starting point into like getting into making more content about this is that uh, this book goes through great pains to sort of like show people the legitimate side of the research in this kind of stuff. If you are if you're really into this stuff, the University of Virginia Division of Perceptual Studies is like legendary like they're they're like the tip of the spear when it comes to academically um studying the stuff uh they're the ones that have the extremely huge archive of like 50 years of cases of children who report to remember past lives um they do a lot of really wacky research on like near near death experiences and all that stuff for anybody that's listening to this that's interested and in just like getting the instant gratification version of their research there is a video on youtube on like one of their official channels that's a panel of four professors that's called um i think it's called something along the lines of like evidence of an afterlife 50 years of research or something like that 
and um the university that that division of perceptual studies takes like a pretty big seat in this book where um he lays out like some of the people involved with it and some of the stuff that they do the other big one that you'll hear people talk about sometimes is um edinburgh university in uh the uk has so, a, a similar a similar division that sort of um i think is sort of the modern continuation of like the spr i don't know if you've ever heard of them i sorry i i, I have not heard of spr uh, so the spr like, was the oh man what did what did this acronym stand for uh the society for psychical research hmm. and they were founded so the, they also take a huge sort of front row seat in this book the Society for Psychical Research was founded in the, I believe, the late-ish or mid-1800s when the spiritualism movement was really at its peak. And their goal was... So the people involved in this were like very high-level like scientists and academics of their time. And they correctly realized a lot of the spiritualism stuff is a scam. And a lot of people are getting taken advantage of. A lot of these mediums are like... <laughs> so we've, we've got to go in and like break this up and get to the bottom of this and that's kind of like and there's a bunch of really famous members like houdini was a member of the spr there's um a bunch of really famous guys who are in it and um everybody knows the side of the story of they were there to sort of like be hoax breakers and go in and like destroy this entire like sham industry that had popped up because of the spiritualism movement but what a lot of people don't know is that the other side of that coin was um, their other goal was we are going to um, see if there's any evidence that any of this stuff is real. Like we're going to try to see if there's any continuation of consciousness after death. And one of the big chapters in this book um, is on mediums, which is very interesting because to me for, and I've been, I'm, I'm like a, I'm like the guy for this kind of stuff. I'm like a big nerd about this kind of like paranormal folklore. And I had always thought that mediums were like 100% bull. It was all cold reading or hot reading or like whichever techniques um, that they were using to be able to sort of manipulate people into thinking this is what's going on. Um, but the section in this book on mediums is kind of nuts. And there's a lot of information in here that I had never uh, heard about. So there were there there's two mediums in this book that the SPR studied for 20 years and in that 20 year period they were never able to catch them in some kind of a hoax like their their work as mediums held up for two decades mm. and in the like late 1800s early 1900s this isn't really a time where you could fake something for that long like in order for because we didn't we, there wasn't the internet we didn't have all this other stuff going on. So in order for the the mediums themselves to stay ahead of the SPR, which is this giant interconnected, literally global network of like the smartest people on Earth, it, it would be real tough to pull the wool over their eyes for two decades. So that's very interesting. And yeah, some of the awesome. Yeah. And some of the other studies they did were so one of the studies this book talks about about mediums specifically is. So the SPR, since, like I said, they were like a global network, 
they had mediums in a bunch of different countries. So they would have some in London, some in Australia, some like all over the place. And they would do tests where they, let's say you're in Australia and you've got a medium and you say, Hey, can you contact this specific spirit? Right. And they're like, yeah, sure. I can do that. And then they do it and they do the whole session and you get some information. Well, then if you're going to test it scientifically, maybe you go to London across the world and you talk to your medium there and you say, hey, can you contact this specific spirit by name? Can you corroborate the stuff that I just did in Australia? And obviously, if the person in London is bullshitting, they're not going to know what's going on and they're going to get caught immediately. So the SPR did a bunch of really, really, really complicated experiments that were along these lines. Like we're talking... There are studies that are like 300 pages long that detail all of the steps they took to talk to different mediums in different countries. And they got like positive results. Like it seemed that the mediums were able to corroborate each other. And when you sit down and try to think about like how they would have faked that, the only the only way that I can think of that the medium the mediums could have pulled off, pulled this off as a hoax is if they had like an Assassin's Creed style secret society that was like able to communicate faster than the SPR could. Like it almost <laughs> becomes more absurd to think about like how they could have faked it. Huh? Yeah. And so that, and then when the SPR eventually, cause they, they dissolved eventually. I think there, there's sort of, there were sort of like symbolic remnants of the SPR around. Um, I think maybe even up until now, but the official original body of the SPR eventually finished their work and dissolved. And what a lot of people don't know is when they dissolved, they said, we started this organization to, um, to sort of break up the hoaxers and to see if there was any evidence that consciousness survives death. And they said in their official final report that they believe there is evidence to support the theory that consciousness survives death. And a lot of people don't know that because they only use the SPR to prop up um, their work in sort of dismantling the spiritualist movement. Okay. And a lot of that is detailed in this book. We also get a lot of near-death experience research. Um, you, I'm, I'm sure you probably know what the near-death experience is because it's like famed world around now that there'll be somebody drowning in the water or something pinned under a canoe right. and they'll have this like profound experience yeah the um, out of body uh epiphany yeah kinda. yeah yeah it'll be like an out of body epiphany there'll be like a life review section um and all that stuff and that is a lot of that research is detailed in here and they've even tried to have so it's really hard to study because you have to be there when somebody's dying which is hard to plan you can't like we can't just like we can't do like flatliners type stuff where we're just like drowning a guy and like you can't you have to like no ethics department is going to approve that. So you sort of have to be in the exact right place at the exact right time. That that's when you uh, make a special little island off the, the coast, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, we make a, we make a cryptocurrency island. <laughs> I mean, that's probably what they're doing there. Let's be yeah. honest. Yeah, where we have to be like, guys, we're not listen. This is only for NDE research. We're not going to do any of the pedophile stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, please. <clears throat> but anyway, so but a bunch of like doctors and other people have tried have signed signed on to this group who are trying to figure this stuff out. And the they set up 
certain experiments and stuff inside of their trauma rooms so that on the chance that somebody comes in and starts to have one of these experiences, they can sort of like interrogate them afterwards and try to figure it out. And there hasn't been a lot of hits because of how difficult that is to do. Mm -hmm. Because like, how are you going to predict when somebody's going to come in and be like almost dead, you know? But there's been a couple of hits and that stuff has been really interesting of people that have accurately reported what so these people will have an out-of-body experience and they'll be able to accurately detail like what the surgeons were doing and like what conversations they were having and like what the machines were doing while they were for all intents and purposes dead so that's pretty interesting one of the other things that i'm going to explore not in my next video but soon i'm sort of planning like a trilogy of videos on all this stuff that i think is going to like lay it out and be really interesting Mm -hmm. and one of the other things that's interesting about the near-death experience is there's sort of an archetypal description of what it's like. And people will say, well, I was like losing consciousness. And then I started to get this ringing in my ears or this buzzing in my ears. And it looked like I was going through a tunnel. And then I like exploded out of the tunnel. And there was like some weird intelligence there that like asked me what I did with my life. And then I had to do a review of my life. And I was like feeling all of the emotions from the people that I had wronged and the people that I had like done good by, but it wasn't like a judgment or anything to be shameful about. It was just an objective. Like, here's what you did with your life and here's the stuff that you did wrong. And here's the stuff that you did. uh, Right. And a lot of that stuff is very similar to the types of reports you get from people that use specific psychedelic drugs. And that's really interesting to me. Because it seems like an odd coincidence that these, so like the ringing or buzzing in the ears, people that do, by now everybody knows what DMT is because Joe Rogan has kind of made that <laughs> like a meme at this point. Unfortunately. Like, like, hey man, you ever done DMT? Like everybody, like that's the joke. But people that have done DMT will say that when you are like coming up into the experience, you start to get like a ringing or a buzzing in your ears. And a lot of the stuff that they talk about after that, like the getting shot through a tunnel and meeting all these like weird like beings that like ask them what they're doing with their lives and like the third person life review all of that stuff is very similar to what you get from DMT and like some other psychedelic drugs and that just seems weird to me it seems odd it seems like a question worth asking like what's going on here i'm i'm i've always been somebody who's too afraid to do any kind of psychedelic drug because um you know one one bad i I witnessed a, a bad uh, salvia trip in high school and oh salvia is the worst one yeah. yeah um salvia is notorious in the psychedelic community for being the one that is the most unpredictable and the most likely to give you a bad trip yeah 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 and it was one of those things where yeah it, it was it was legal so you could buy it at the gas station yeah i'm a i'm i'm a big proponent of people trying it mm-hmm. but only if they're doing all of the sort of like if only if you do like the safety seminar first yeah and like figure out how to do it correctly like because every bad story i hear it's always like well i was 17 and i was at a party and i'm like all right stop you already did like six things wrong yep 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 that was uh enough to to freak me out about it so uh so but this book um was it, do you think it's well written yeah it's really it's really well written I think Greg Taylor is the perfect guy to write it because he is, I mean, he's a doctor, so he had to make it through like medical school and stuff. So he can't like, there's, he can't be that stupid, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, in hope. my PhD program, I'm learning a few things about people who are making it through PhDs. Yeah. 
No, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I, I didn't make it that far through academia, but I was in academia long enough to be like, hmm, what's going on here? <laughs> uh, so in, in one of the other things that, about him that I like is that all of his stuff is very tempered. Like all this book is, is him laying out what he thinks is the most compelling evidence that probably maybe something happens after you die. Like it's, it, like it seems that the evidence that we have right now suggests that when you die, it's not just a matter of the lights going out. Like something else seems to be going on. It's a little bit more complicated. And honestly, that to me seems like the more realistic option because every time we think we have the universe figured out, it gets like an order of magnitude more complicated. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at any, um, like any realm of physics, like we had, we had like Newtonian physics figured out and we we're like, okay, this all makes sense. And then people started figuring out quantum physics in the beginning of the 1900s. And they're like, Oh, this is, this is like way more complicated than we thought that it was going to be. Or like, even now with all of the studies and trying to detect dark matter, like we kind of thought we had everything figured out and they're like, Oh, well actually 85% of the universe is like this thing that we can't see. So every time, every time we think that we've got it figured out, some new confounding process shows up. That is like, oh, the math is way harder. It's not intuitive. It's way worse than we thought it was going to be. So I think it's it's reasonable that the problem of consciousness, which is one that has baffled us since the beginning of time, could end up being a lot more complicated than we thought that it was going to be. And I don't think that should be shocking to anybody out there just based on how science tends to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A paradigm shift of more commonly than people think. Right. Uh, all right. Well, uh, so do you any you recommend this book to anybody who's interested in this uh, kind of stuff? This uh, yeah, spiritual, I think it's, spiritual. Uh... I think it's a really good if if you're like interested in the survival of consciousness, or if you've never really thought about it, or if you're like, oh, is there is there actually any? Is there any? If you're if you're one of those really skeptical guys who is like, is there any evidence of any of this stuff? Um, I would say that this book is a very good place to start because he doesn't make any crazy claims. All he does is sort of like present what he thinks is the best evidence that we've got so far. And at the end of the day, he's saying like, look, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure something else going on. So um, I think if you're a skeptical guy who's never really thought about any of this stuff, but wants to start thinking about it, this is a very good place to start. That's that's awesome, and this is like one of the best uh, things. The secret the secret thing about this podcast is, while it's all about me getting my uh, my backlog finished, it's also forcing other people to um, to recommend things and increase the listeners' backlogs. So, right. so this is fan- This is awesome. Um, yeah, and and one of one of my like missions with this kind of stuff is like just trying to get people to stop being so cynical about everything. It's like, dude, like it's going to be fine. Like we, this, the, this, this thing that we've got going on here is probably not the only thing. Like just, I know it's hard sometimes, but it's like, relax. Like we don't need to be, I feel like Western society to the extent, like what, what Western society, like whatever that even means. Um, I guess like the Anglosphere or whatever. Um, it's just so stressed out all the time. <laughs> it's like, we're in like this weird spiritual crisis where everybody just kind of thinks like, I live to pay bills and die. 
And I don't think that's a very healthy mindset to be in for a society. No, no, no. And and that's uh, one of the reasons why everyone's getting burnt down. It's cynical, I think. Yeah. And I just like I think it would be good if and like, look, I'm not I'm not advocating that people go go like go to church or like do any of this stuff. But what I am advocating is maybe to sort of like privately kind of develop your own like spiritual practice that you can do to like center yourself a little bit. And like, even if it's just like meditation or whatever, like just anything that you can do to sort of shake off the overwhelming weight of living in like a hyper materialist society, I think that's generally good for people's mental health. Oh, mm. uh, well, speaking of hyper materialism, um, so you, you also do video game reviews and you're an indie, yes. you, you seem to focus mainly on indie video games. Yeah, um, I, I focus mostly on indie games, not because of any sort of like, not for any like altruistic or like ethical reason, but just because I think AAA games suck. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, I I fully agree. The most of the time, a AAA game, you're just going to just not have as much fun as you yeah, would. Well, I mean, they're designed, AAA games are designed by marketing departments. Like, this was the big controversy that we saw in the wake of Elden Ring being released, is Elden Ring was successful in a way that is almost difficult to even comprehend. Like, Elden Ring has been, it hit man, what was it, like 12 million sales or something like that in like three months. It became the top selling game of the year very quickly. This is Elden Ring outsold Call of Duty. In the past decade, the past 10 years, there's only been three games to outsell Call of Duty in like the year that Call of Duty released. So Elden Ring is successful on a scale that is is like difficult to imagine and is like the dream of every game developer. Like it is one of the, it's probably the biggest game on the planet right now. Yeah, and, yeah, and it is driving me crazy. And it in Elden Ring didn't follow a single one of the established mantras that like Western AAA developers have said you need to follow this for your game to be good because they've they've had marketing teams developing their games for the past ten years and yeah. now they're staring in the face of this like new type of triple a game that is one of the most successful games in the history of the entire medium. And they're like, like, what do you mean? What do I do? Everything that I thought, everything that I thought made a good game was wrong. And like the triple a industry is now having to like face the, the, the music of, Oh, I was making bull for 10 years <laughs> and like nothing I knew about like making games was correct. And I think that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And and you're really going to find a lot more of the interesting stuff in the indie sphere. Um like I uh a few weeks ago I did Blasphemous for for this podcast. Oh, Blasphemous is so good. Yeah, Blasphemous is uh, is is incredible. Yeah, yeah. And uh yeah, Elden Ring is uh destroying my free time right now and also my sleep schedule. <laughs> yeah. Um well, I I actually did a video on Blasphemous and the comment that I pinned on that video was from a guy who lives in Spain and it, his perspective on it was really interesting because I guess so blasphemous isn't just sort of like a commentary on Catholicism. It's a commentary on 
the very unique type of intersection that you get with Spanish culture and Catholicism. Mm -hmm. So like if you're not somebody who like really understands Spanish culture specifically, you're missing like a whole other layer to that game. And that guy kind of like he has it's like two or three paragraphs or something where he's like kind of explaining it. And I pinned the comment because I thought it was like really interesting. So uh, I guess if you if you play Blasphemous and you really enjoy it, uh, find a nerd in Spain that can like really explain it to you because they're on a totally different level over there, I guess. That's that's awesome. Yeah. uh, And there's a few other games that are like really culturally uh, relevant. I'm trying to trying to uh, make time for like a Mundown. um... Mundown is pretty good, too. Um, I played it. I also did a video on that one. The art style is really good. And the folklore is really good, sort of like classic archetypal Germanic folklore in terms of like gameplay. I think it's a little dry. But if you if you go into understanding that it's like an art piece, I think it's definitely worth playing. Yeah. And then there's an Indonesian one called uh, Pamali that is a horror for Indonesian people. Um, I don't I don't know how much to describe better, but there's like, uh, oh, if you if you play this game and you go through and you do things that are against uh, Indonesian custom or whatever, you get different endings. Um, oh, that would be interesting. Cause I'm a, I'm a real big, I'm a real big sort of like a regional folklore guy. Yes. Because that, that sort of goes like hand in glove with the whole like interest in the paranormal and stuff. Because it, at the end of the day, if you're a guy who's interested in the paranormal, you're basically a folklorist. Like that's what you end up kind of being. Yeah, yeah. And uh yeah, so that's kind of uh what this entire game is. It's called Pamali. It even has a DLC that's like a book on Indonesian ghosts and you uh you're you're in this house and if you do things that are against the the local folklore ghosts, the local customs uh and you don't know what they are, right? You get different endings and different deaths um uh, etc so um, yeah maybe you should look into it it's five bucks because you know indie games are like pokemon cards you can just yeah and that seems that seems like a really fun way to sort of like trade cultures mm-hmm. because you can tell you can tell a lot about a culture by what they're afraid of and uh like the best example of this is the japanese like mm-hmm. japanese folklore is incredible for being able to like understand a culture from top to bottom specifically by like what kind of ghosts freak them out. Like they're the best, they're the best example for this. But yeah. uh, the idea that um, you're sort of doing a cultural trade by being like, okay, let's see if you can figure this out through the lens of being a dude in middle America somewhere or whatever. That's, that's I, I really like that as a sort of an explanation of um, what's the word I'm looking for. I'm trying to find a synonym for culture because I said it too many times in a row, mm. but that's fine. We can we can stop here. We, I don't have to finish every thought. Yeah, no, no, no. That, that's the great part, and then I can edit it and make you sound really smart. And uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll I'll send you a link to this because uh, I think Errant Signal did a video on it and how good it is. And there's, you know, uh, horror games are fun, and horror games based in culture are fantastic. I covered Loop Hero this week. Have you given Loop Hero uh, any amount of your time? I don't think so. Loop Hero was was that the one that was originally one of those game jam games? Uh I I think so. Um this feels very game jammy to me. Yeah. 
I don't think I got into Loop Hero, but I heard, I mean, every time I've heard somebody talking about it, they've been talking about it positively, so I can't imagine that it's bad. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what 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 it is is uh you play a um, you know, a kind of hero in a void and the thing is you your hero, you don't control them directly. They just automatically walk around this loop and every time you go every time you go through a loop, you get some experience and you have the choice to stop. And you keep going and going and going and you're kind of building tiles from a deck of cards you have uh to increase the um the different kinds of encounters you can have you can put towns you can put monsters you can put different kinds of monsters you know killing the monsters gives you more experience more stuff and so on and so forth uh it 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 allows you to be very relaxed right like you can kind of play this almost like an idle game you you let your guy run around a few cycles um you can even set it up so he stops every cycle and then you can equip new stuff and go around and, and you know, try to do a little bit better, get a little bit more of your items. Uh, it hits the, it hits that dopamine thing of uh, right. looter shooters. And other right. things. Um, the problem is it's also a deck builder, <laughs> and I'm not a fan of deck builders. So the deck, so if I'm understanding this correctly, the deck that you're building is like the stuff is like the challenges that you're putting ahead of yourself. Right, right, right. The okay. the, the so deck then you're in, your incentive is to build a deck that has like the best challenge to reward ratio. Right, right. Or um, you can even go like, uh, you know, an infinite running loop that you can just keep keep doing, keep getting resources. Uh, but eventually, after a certain amount of uh, of cards are played, because um, each card is like a tile, um, after you build up this this area and this from this barren loop to this uh, loop that has mountains and uh, gargoyles are coming and vampires and towns and and all this stuff, uh, a boss will spawn, and then you you can beat the boss to continue on with the game and continue on with the story. That's basically the story is the world was destroyed and that your character is the only one remaining. And it's kind of a, a post Thanos snap desolate wasteland. And this character doesn't know why it's cool. You get your, you get your deck, you can uh, figure out how to do stuff. Uh, but the problem I always find with like with the, any deck builder is uh, I'll play it for a few hours and then I will get a little bit bored and just look up the, uh, the meta strategy to destroy it. Yeah. Uh, Deck building games fall victim to metagaming very, very, very quickly, like quicker than any other genre. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and that's the, the problem is like once you like figure out the class that you're playing, uh, what whatever they benefit from, like the rogue benefits from uh, speed and uh, and you can keep putting down tiles in the terrain, you know, like you're playing Magic the Gathering or something to increase the speed of not only your character but the enemies as well right right and you just figure out like oh all i have to do is just increase the speed really really fast and the rogue can just destroy these enemies before they can hit uh yeah trying to escape the whirlpool of a metagame forming is like almost impossible yep and then (laughs) i mean just look at look at the all-time biggest deck builder that has ever existed magic the gathering which is anybody who's ever played Magic the Gathering even semi-seriously is 
will tell you that it is the biggest slave to its meta that like has ever existed yeah yeah and it's really hard to dodge that from a game a game design perspective yeah and and like i certainly don't have any ideas and but the problem is just deck builders don't uh do it for me the the process of building the deck and like figuring out the systems uh just doesn't it doesn't give me that that little dopamine reward that i like um but this is you know this was like the indie darling for for a few months so i was really interested in it and um yeah yeah ultimately it's fine uh it's a devolver digital game you know they published it uh which they always publish interesting stuff yeah it's very rare for devolver to put out a game that's bad yeah if devolver's publishing it it will at the very least be interesting yeah. So, uh, you, you know, from, from my perspective, if if you're interested in rogue lights, if you're interested or or rogue look at likes, I'm I'm not sure which one this is. I I don't know the difference. It really doesn't matter anymore. Like I nowadays, there was a very brief point in time where the distinction between the two mattered, but we've transcended that point in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the tropes and whatever from all of them have uh, have bled over. Um, you you know this is this is fun. Um. There's really interesting tile combinations. Like if you put a village next to a vampire uh, mansion, the vampire the vampire mansion takes over that village. Oh, that's pretty cool. So there's like synergies. Yes, yes. There, there's all these interesting synergies. And the thing is, the uh, if the the village is taken over by the vampire mansion, it spawns the maximum amount of enemies per cycle. And they're a little harder, but after five cycles or four cycles or whatever it is, it becomes a super safe haven for you. Uh, right. It becomes a place that heals you more, uh, stuff like that. There's you put swamps in and with with swamps, you have mosquitoes and there's there's tons of very interesting synergies that can happen. Like if you put a desert tile next to a river tile it becomes an oasis and it has completely different effects. And this game sounds like one that would be best played. If you just forget that data mining is a thing mm-hmm. and you figure out everything by yourself. Like this definitely seems like you could ruin it for yourself very quickly. If you start wiki diving. Yes. Yes. And that, and that's kind of the problem is I was just like, yeah. huh, I don't quite understand what this card does. Let me look. Oh, uh, the entire meta has just been spoiled for me. And, uh, I mean, that's sort of a problem that all games are having right now is that between so we now live in a very bizarre point in gaming history where it is not only possible but semi probable that you could create a career for yourself being a professional video game player in like a very weird type of way that has never existed before so now a lot of people watch like twitch streamers and youtube channels of people that are like pretty good at whatever they're playing so now the goal has been not to be playing a game but to be playing it like the epic twitch streamer who is really good at it so that's created an environment where everybody's data mining everybody is like spoiling everything about the game on the wiki before the game even comes out um like you see this in Elden Ring. Yeah, so much. Really, really bad. Where I've been so I've been playing um the mainline FromSoft games since like 2010. Mm-hmm. So over 10 years at this point. 
And they have always had FromSoft is really bad at balancing out like their PvP metas and their just build metas in general. So there's always been stuff that's better than other stuff. But I can tell you right now that Elden Ring is the absolute worst when it comes to the community having zero creativity and just following guides that they're reading online. Yeah, the um oh, the Figuring out, I, I, I had this weird balancing problem with Elden Ring because like, oh, I don't know what to do now. I'm going around. I don't, I don't know where I should go. I'm just going to look. And then the title of some headline is like, oh, the most overpowered uh, item in Elden Ring. And it shows you the picture of like where to get it. And so like now I know, okay, this place on the map has apparently a really overpowered item. And then I, I ended up uh, finding getting it and it makes your uh, magic infinite for like 10 seconds yeah and it's really difficult to like develop a game around this ecosystem of everybody immediately writing an article about how to break it like 20 minutes after it releases yeah and a game like loop hero is one that is particularly sensitive to this kind of thing because the entire point of the game is trying to figure out the card combinations and stuff Right. And I, I will say, um, hilariously, it seems that the um, the team has updated and responded to, to these metas to make it more difficult. And what this leads to is a lot of Reddit posts that are very confused about from people who are like, wait, no, you said that this is like the way to beat this boss. Uh, this isn't working. And people are like, yeah, because the Reddit post is from three months ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 fun. Um, but ultimately, Lupiro is a. Uh, a pleasant experience it just was not one for me because i'm i i fall prey to to that meta playing i i i know i do i can't stop myself yeah i mean especially like you said you're a new dad yeah so in the like very small amount of time that you have to be playing a game at any given point it's like okay i don't want to waste my time so if i get stuck i'm just gonna look it up and that causes a cascading event it, it really does and then um or or like Elden Ring you're trying to figure out how to do a quest line and you just like okay I just need to know where to go this this NPC went somewhere and this world yeah. was big I don't know where and then you look it up and it's like and and if you do it with uh you know if if you do this before you do this guy's quest uh it locks you out of this ending and it's like oh yeah it was very fun watching the sort of general audience that wasn't familiar with how FromSoft does their games yeah, just like just be like the wave breaking against the rocks of FromSoft's game design because it's so convoluted and insane because their game, all of their games are designed. Like they design a game like Dark Souls with the the preface that the person playing it is going to play it like four times. So yeah. like everything is designed around replayability. Yeah, everything's designed around that. It's designed around like, uh, you know, you're not going to experience uh, everything <laughs> in one go. Yeah, and they they and they put in the message system that they've had in, in I think since Demon Souls they've had the message system and that so system great. is there so that all of the thousands of players that are having a different experience can like communicate with each other what the differing experience is. So like the entire game is based around the fact that everybody is going to have a slightly different experience and that you're not going to be able to get through everything in one playthrough. Yeah. And people just aren't used to that because they're used to playing um you know like breath of the wild which i love and is a good game but 
you can see every shrine on the map. You mm-hmm. can see every dungeon on the map. You can see every tower on the map. Everything is like a checklist. You can go down the checklist and get and experience every single thing in one playthrough. Whereas FromSoft is inherently opposed to that idea on principle. Yeah, and and really, I, I think that's great. There was this thing about the Demon Souls remake where uh, there was this item that the community couldn't figure out what to do with uh, for a long time. It was some kind of coin. And they eventually figured out, like, if you get 30 of these things, this door opens. Right. Uh, and it just was that exclusive to the remake or was that? In yes. The original yes. Film? Just exclusive to the remake. Oh, yeah. That's uh, wild. I didn't hear about that at all. Yeah. Which, which was was great. It was fun, like reading a Kotaku article about how they figured it out and how because the PlayStation 5 was super new, like data miners couldn't. Couldn't do it. Yeah. Right. Right. They, they couldn't just break into into this game and figure it out. They I'm sure now they have the tools to do it, but. Yeah, there, there's this like weird thing with uh, from software where you can actually like get back to the playground days of whispering secrets to two kids and like trying to figure out how to how to do something like how to get the um, oh, the whatever the the, the final boss of um, Bloodborne, uh, the secret boss, the moon right. or something um, moon presence, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like you have to eat three. Um, <laughs> three umbilical cords and like finding that out and getting to like figure that out as a giant community. And then um, now the wikis just kind of ruin everything. Well, in the ultimate example of this was the um, alleged final Colossus in shadow of the Colossus. Do you, do you know about this? Yeah, I, I know. I, Yes, yes, but also no. Uh, let me see who, hang on, let me look up the YouTuber that did a video on it because I need, people are going to want to know about this and I'm going to have to direct them to this video because it's very good. Okay, so it's a Jacob Geller video, so already you know it's going to be good. Yeah. Um, And it's called The Decade-Long Quest for the Shadow of the Colossus' Last Secret. And this, the search, so basically there was a rumor that there was some sort of final secret in Shadow of the Colossus. And whether it was like another Colossus or if it was another thing. And there was like a like a forum thread somewhere on this. And, and Shadow of the Colossus came out in like, what, 2007? What is the release date on that? Oh, like 2005. Yeah, 2005, you're right. So then nobody had any way of like searching this stuff. Like you just had to figure it out as a community. And there's a forum thread about it that went on for thousands and thousands and thousands of posts. And it got to the point where like this community of people looking for the last secret in Shadow of the Colossus turned into like a borderline religion. Like it was like it was like this weird meditative practice of these guys trying to find the last secret in this game. And it's a really good example of what I think is probably the last time that anything like that could have happened. Right, right. Uh, and that, this was also like the appeal of some MMOs, too. Yeah, MMOs do it. So I back in my MMO days, I was really into an MMO that is still running to this day, and it is the oldest running MMO on the Internet. It beats RuneScape by one year. It is the oldest MMO, and it's called Tibia, and it is a nightmare. But Back in my MMO days, I played it a lot. And that game is particularly susceptible to this kind of like maniac 
like religious extremist hunt for secrets <laughs> because the developers are bad and dumb and they don't put out any of their they don't they don't explain any of their processes or release any of like their math works how their math works for any of their systems or any of that stuff so it's just up to the community to like do experiments and figure it out like the community literally does like they'll do like science on to figure out like damage formulas on weapons and stuff and the consequence of the developers being idiots is that it gave this game this weird air of like mysticism and mystique where everybody was always trying to figure out some kind of secret that nobody else had figured out before to get some kind of an advantage because the game is so hyper competitive and and man i miss that kind of stuff like modern games just doesn't they we just don't have that anymore no 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 we, we really don't and uh really for me that the thing is like is finding just finding an indie game that's a hidden gem you know uh yeah that's always the uh that's the that's the only thing new that like you can surprise yourself with in video games or come together in any kind of way oh and, and of there's course- so many of them out there that like i guarantee you the like the best game of all time right now is like something that only a thousand people have played like there's probably some indie game out there somewhere that's like it's gonna be one of those weird ones that's like it's like hosted on its own website and you have to like go there and download the files like not even on itch or anything um there's like so much stuff out there or it's or it'll be something like cruelty squad where only a certain percentage of people can even play it because like the visuals are so absurd that like most people's brains turns off looking at it yeah yeah uh your your video on on uh, uh, cruelty squad was wonderful my video on cruelty squad 2 like only really scratched the surface on how good that it is like it'll probably be another two years before somebody puts out like the cruelty squad video because mm-hmm. that game genuinely deserves like a two-hour analysis like the guy who made it is such a genius that it's difficult to even think about yeah nine months ago um a guy named munt chunk put out an hour and 20 minute video of it's an in-depth analysis of cruelty squad and i would guess that that one is probably starting to get to the point because that game is so dense in terms of it is a masterpiece of satire like you can't you never could have created that game on purpose with a team of writers like it's something that had to have been a product of like one lunatic from norway who's eating acid all the time uh like i think he's from norway probably it feels Uh, like a very norwegian game i know he's i know he's from like one of the nordic countries yeah like uh there's this game that i i love and it's so hard to to get people to try it and it's one of those games you know you you beg people to try it and eventually someone tries it and uh they're like oh wow yeah i can see this is really interesting it's called under hero it is a 2d platformer that uh has elements of mario party and or not mario party uh elements of uh paper mario and other uh and rhythm games together for its combat and it, it it's just a 
a delight to play and it's janky as all hell. Uh, you can tell that the team that made this, they like gained experience throughout it. So it starts and the level design is just really not great. And it, at the end, it's the level design is fantastic and they really understand it. And uh, it's really just the story keeping you going. Yeah. Uh, I think people underestimate the benefit of your game being kind of janky. I think people like that. I, I think something about a, an extremely polished game is kind of off-putting to some people. Like, if you look at all the criticisms of Breath of the Wild, a lot of the criticisms about that game come from the fact that Nintendo obsessively polishes their games to such a degree that it's like this weird, hyper-sanitized product where it's like, this is really good, but like it's missing something. Like, people instinctually feel like something is missing. Whereas if you look at like Dark Souls 1, Dark Souls 1 is so f***ed up and so many of the systems are broken but I think that's what gives it its charm. Like people really liked the fact that it was rough around the edges and they had to like work with it a little bit to figure things out. I, I think that that like essence of jank really can carry a game a lot farther than a lot of than people think. Like we have in the gaming community, there's this whole idea of like Euro jank of like games that are made by like microscopic European developers like stalker, or something along those lines, and all of them are a nightmare to play. They need like three fan patches to even get them functional. But people like love that stuff. Like they don't like people. Something about playing like extremely corporate, polished games is just off-putting to people, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I once again encourage all listeners to look up Under Hero because it is uh, fantastic and it's very cute. Unfortunately, it's also confused what a lot of people buy with uh, Undertale because, of course. Right. The legendary Undertale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 indie game to to beat. Um, so before we go, do you do you have like any any indie games that you like would just want to encourage people to check out? Um, besides Webbed. God, Webbed is so good it's um, so cute it's if there is like a big sequel to web i'm going to lose my mind but do people know about outward is that like one that is that like big now is that like popular no it is not because outward just came out with its definitive edition and man that game is good like it's the perfect intersection of all the stuff that i'm talking about where it's got that like rough around the edges feeling it's an indie game from, I think, a French-Canadian team in Quebec. It has an extremely long playtime, so you're going to get your money out of it for sure. There's so many different ways to... So the setup for the game is, it's sort of like this open-world, sort of like janky Souls clone-type combat, where there's no fast travel or anything, really. So you just have to like walk through the world. And the consequences of you like messing up planning on your trip are pretty harsh. So you have to make sure that you've got enough food, enough water and all the stuff. And it's got like very hardcore survival mechanics, but it's so well done. I know like survival mechanics are very divisive in the gaming community. Some people love them and some people hate them. Um, I think this is a really good example of them being done very well. Like the entire point of the game 
is to go outward on an adventure. And that's why it's called outward. And there is, I don't think there's ever been a game that's done it better than these guys. Like it's, it's a really tedious game. There'll be times where like you're walking for 30 minutes and then you get killed and then you need to walk for 30 minutes back to like, where are you? And you'll like, there'll be times where you're trying to finish a quest and you'll die. And that death will sidetrack you for like five hours before you get back on point of like what you're trying to do. So it's it's kind of an unforgiving game, but I think it's really, really, really fun. And uh, it's really rewarding when you start to figure out how to... Because um, like all games, its systems can be broken. And once you start figuring out like how to break the systems and how to get like get advantages, it's very rewarding and fun. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I, I know I'm confusing it with some game because the logo is so similar to a different game. I can't think of what, what game it is. But I, in my head, I those wires get crossed, so I keep thinking of this like point and click adventure game. Oh man, I I feel like I should should know what game you're talking about, but I don't. Yeah. But yeah, Outward Definitive Edition is has all the DLC. It just came out, and it also adds a bunch of uh, it like smooths out the DLC so that it fits into the entire game. So it's sort of like a reworked version of the game with the DLC that integrates the DLC more completely into the experience. And it's only 40 bucks, which is less than a triple a title. And I guarantee you, if you like it, you're going to get way more time out of it than you've gotten out of any triple a game in yeah. a while. Just with maybe the exception of, uh, um, Elden ring, Elden ring. Yeah. Like I've got a hundred hours in outward right now. So, yeah, it's a big boy. Now, I, I see on Steam that there's a co-op tag. How, how, is the co-op real or is it like uh, Souls Likes? So it's a little weird. It's not like Souls Likes. Um, I haven't messed with it in a long time, but it's very odd where one person is like the host and then a second person is like the um, co-op character. So you're going to be doing quest lines in like the host's world, but it is sort of coherently playable in co-op from top to bottom. I'm pretty sure they have made the co-op a little, they've like made changes to it to make it a little bit more coherent. I can't remember. There's some weird thing about quest items that made it kind of difficult, but you can also swap who's hosting the world. So if there's a quest, like say for example, like one person wants to do like a mage playthrough and one person wants to do like a warrior playthrough and you get to a quest where the reward for something is like, you have to choose between something that's like mage related or something that's warrior related. You could finish it and get the warrior reward and then like swap who's hosting and then finish it again for the other guy and get the mage reward. And you can also, you can trade drops and stuff. I would need, I remember the, the co-op is weird. It's janky, but it's definitely playable. Like you can absolutely play it with a friend and have a good time. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I, I looked this up and it the game I'm talking about is Unavowed. So Outward and Unavowed, for whatever reason, in my head, like the logos look similar enough that I just like and I learned about them probably at the same time. And it just they're kind of the same color. Yeah, it just uh, keeps crossing. So every time I hear Outward, I'm like, oh, yeah, that point and click game. I, I totally know. Another game that I'd recommend people play um, that's an indie game is uh, Grim Dawn. Grim Dawn is really good. And I get a lot of people ask, I get a lot of people ask me about it because I'm a big Path of Exile Diablo type of guy. Mm -hmm. 
and people always ask me, oh, is Grimdawn good? And I'm like, dude, it's one of the best. It is it is the second best game in its genre right now. And it's easily the best if you're going to be playing it single player. Oh, those 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 Path of Exile Diablo clicking, click, 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 clicks. Um I I'm always terrified to play them now because I have the child and Oh, I know. I haven't <laughs> I I'm I haven't gotten back into Diablo or not Diablo. I haven't gotten back into Path of Exile because I know that if I do, that's going to be like a huge extravaganza. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Jacob, do you want to plug your pluggables? Do you want to tell people where to find Yeah, I can do that. So my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash probably Jacob. That's where all of my, Oh God, I started a video. That's where all of my main channel stuff is. I have a second channel called probably Jacob Two. Um, that's mostly just my podcast, which is called Inherently Optimistic. Uh, the podcast is available basically everywhere. But if you go to patreon.com slash probably Jacob, uh, you can subscribe there for as little as $2 a month. And that will give you exclusive podcast content that only goes out to patrons. Uh, I'm on Twitter at probably Jacob IO, um, where follow me on Twitter is nice because you won't miss any updates. If you only subscribe to my channel, you're going to miss video uploads because YouTube is a nightmare. Um, but if you're True. following me on Twitter, you're not going to miss anything. I also have a Discord community where um, a lot of my announcements go out and I have a pretty active community. And you can find links to the Discord pretty much everywhere. I think I've got it on a pinned comment on my Twitter. I've got it in the description of all of my videos. And I also stream at Twitch dot com slash probably jacob live i haven't streamed in a while because i've been really busy doing stuff but i think i'm probably going to stream tonight maybe so three check weeks that. This comes out yeah check that and follow me there i'm gonna try to get back into streaming a little bit more so whenever you're hearing me say tonight it might be relative to where you are at in that point in time and just check you never know <laughs> awesome awesome yeah uh i i lurk on the discord you got a lot of cool people there um uh, it's it's how i was like oh yeah 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 you said you wanted to be on more podcasts i will uh hit you up yeah this is my second this is my second one i'm 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 planning on i'm taking the podcast circuit by storm yeah yeah you you should it's a lot of fun uh so thanks for thanks for being on yep uh